My name is Matt. Uh, I, I help with uh, leading worship. And recently, newly, uh, the students here at TNL. Um, I'm super excited to be doing the talk tonight. Uh, I really, really enjoy um, the season of Lent. I didn't grow up with liturgy of any kind. Uh, so liturgy was new to me as an adult. Um, and I don't know, maybe it's just, you know, we all want something different than what we were raised with. But I have loved... Advent and Epiphany and, and Lent and Eastertide as an adult, I've really, really come to love uh, liturgy. And um, tonight I'm excited to sort of uh, begin our Lent series, which is, is super exciting. Uh, the Greek Orthodox churches refer to Lent as the bright sadness, um, which is like, I love that phrase so much because there's so much symbolism to it. And we're actually going to get into that um, a little later tonight. But in, in one sense, it is quite literally a bright sadness. Lent takes place as the days are progressively getting brighter and brighter and longer and longer. And yet it's also a time when the church historically observes um, and, and discusses and uh, is transparent about doubt and grief and struggles. And so it really is this, this physically bright period of sadness. Um, it's been good for me. Part of my Lent this year is trying to uh, be less of a, a potato. I'm trying to, to eat better. I don't know how to say that. I'm trying to eat better, eat healthier, um, and also trying to work out more. And when it's like 55 degrees for the first time in a thousand years, it is really easy to go for a jog. Um, so that's been cool. Uh, for the season of Lent this year, we're going to be going through the Sermon on the Mount. Um, it's it's definitely Jesus's longest, most famous, arguably uh, his most influential discourse. Uh, it's found in the book of Matthew, which is one of the biographies of Jesus. Um, and the Sermon on the Mount begins with Jesus blessing different groups of people. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This is probably the hardest talk I've ever written, just because there's so much content here that we could talk about. Uh, we, could, we could talk for 10 weeks on all of the 10 blessings. Are there 10? eight blessings, all of the eight blessings in the Beatitudes. Uh, we could spend eight weeks uh, and we wouldn't even like begin to uncover all of it. Um, so writing the talk this week was kind of interesting because I had to like narrow my scope a lot. I wrote a lot and then edited a lot. Um, but this is a really interesting passage. These blessings are, are frequently referred to as uh, the Beatitudes. And at face value, the list of blessings kind of comes across as odd and nonsensical. Um, Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who are persecuted. Really? Especially when the word blessed doesn't really have any meaning or any depth in our culture today. This might just be my experience. Um, but I, I heard on more than one occasion growing up in the church that the Beatitudes are all about teaching us the sort of attitudes that we should have as followers of Jesus. Like the Beatitudes which again, doesn't make any sense. We should have the attitude of poverty. We should try and assume an attitude of grief. 
no thank you, pass. I don't, I don't want to do that. For, for the record, just to sort of put that to rest, uh, that is not even slightly what the word beatitude comes from. The word beatitude comes from the Latin word beatus, which means blessed. That's it. This passage has nothing to do with the attitudes that you should have or the attitudes that you should should be and inhabit. Um, but they are weird. They're strange. They, they seem to bless things that don't seem all that desirable and, and favorable. Um, in order to make sense of this strange list of blessings, uh, we need to go back in the book of Matthew just a little bit. Right before the Sermon on the Mount begins, Matthew writes this. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. Now, when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountain and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. Matthew is essentially telling us here that Jesus drew crowds from all over. Uh, we don't have time to get into all of these cities and all the regions listed in, in this text. He talks about uh, Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, the region across the Jordan. Um, but for our purposes, it is sufficient to say that folks from just about every demographic were gathered here to listen to Jesus's Sermon on the Mount. From rural working class Jewish folks to wealthy influential Jewish leaders to religious authorities to Roman officials and many, many more. Everyone was gathered here to listen to the words of Jesus. Why? That's a good question, Phil. I'd love to tell you. Uh, it's because if we throw that, uh, that last bit up on the screen again, um, it's because, I mean, for one, uh, Jesus is going around healing people, which is noteworthy. Uh, and because Jesus is proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. The word kingdom here is the key piece. Jesus lived in a, a very volatile and divisive world and going around announcing that a new kingdom was on the horizon was certainly a way to draw crowds. The Hebrew people at this time lived in an ironclad police state under the Roman empire. And they believed that the day was coming when God would send a Jewish king to free the Israelites from oppression under Roman rule in the form of a violent rebellion. Uh, just a couple months ago during Advent, Phil talked about the story of Herod the Great and the birth of Jesus. Herod was a Roman appointed king of Judea, and he was so fearful of a Jewish rebellion that upon hearing rumors that a king had been born among the Jewish people, he ordered the slaughter of every male child in the surrounding area. And this is the sort of dynamic under which Jesus spoke and taught. Some of the Israelites were thirsty for blood desperate to see justice carried out against the Romans for their crimes. And, and Jesus lived in the shadow and in the world of failed rebellions. It, there are many examples of, 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 of people rising up within the Jewish community to, to violently take back their land from Rome. Some of the Jewish religious leaders benefited from the Roman occupation and thus sided with Rome in matters of government. Roman officials themselves were constantly quashing and and <clears throat> what's the word I meant to write there? Suppressing, not surpassing. They were quashing and suppressing rebellions left and right. And then Jesus appears on the scene. Jesus is this mysterious figure roaming through the countryside of Galilee, 
rumored to be healing the sick and all the while spreading good news that a new kingdom was coming. It makes sense then why all these different groups of people wanted to hear for themselves what sort of kingdom Jesus was announcing. N.T. Wright, uh, who, I mean, quite honestly, I could just put quotes around my entire talk tonight and just say it's all very inspired by him. Uh, He's a phenomenal, phenomenal theologian, uh, one of the world's most respected scholars in the field of New Testament studies. Um, And he puts it this way. He says, many people, including many Christians, assume that Jesus came to give advice, to tell people how to live, how to go to heaven, how to pray, how to establish a personal relationship with God. Some people talk as if Jesus came to found a new religion. Now, there are grains of truth in all of that, but they all miss the central point, the good news itself. There's all the difference in the world between news and advice. The point of news is that something is happening as a result of which everything is now going to be different. This framework is extremely important in understanding the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, This incredibly diverse crowd of people is not gathering to hear Jesus simply give advice. They're gathering because he's going to announce something about this new kingdom. And everyone wants to hear what he is going to say. And so Jesus sits down on the side of the hill with the crowds gathered below and begins by saying, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And this might not seem like much, but for the audience of Jesus, this is an extremely controversial and shocking statement. This would not have been in any sense the announcement of a new kingdom that people were expecting. So let's, let's break this down because um, it seems pretty chill and in a modern setting to a modern audience. This doesn't seem all that controversial. Uh, many Christians, in an effort, I think, to read the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes as a list of rules and advice from Jesus, have tried to explain how poor in spirit might be a positive thing, something we should uh, attain, something we should, uh, 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 an attitude that we should obtain. Some have suggested that poor in spirit means having humility. Others have suggested that poor in spirit means relying on God and not ourselves. But if we realize that Jesus is not giving advice on how to live, but rather proclaiming good news about the reality of this new kingdom, poor in spirit means exactly what it sounds like. The poor in spirit are those who lack any semblance or any scrap of spirituality. Those who, when it comes to matters of faith, live in absolute poverty. Those who doubt, those who struggle, those who fail time and time and time again. The term blessed has uh, such an incredibly deep history and connotation, especially in the time of Jesus. Um, And it means far more than simply happy or or fortunate or lucky. To be blessed means, among many other things, that God is present with someone, that God is in relationship with someone, that God is walking walking alongside someone. Uh, Rob Bell paraphrases the Beatitudes this way. Blessed are those who don't have it all together. Blessed are those who have run out of strength, ideas, willpower, resolve, and energy. Blessed are those who ache because of how severely out of whack the world is. Blessed are those who stumble, trip, and fall in the same place again and again. Blessed are those who on a regular basis have dark days in which despair seems to be just a step behind them wherever they go. Blessed are you for God is with you. 
God is on your side and God meets you in that place. And this is the good news that Jesus is announcing. This is actually where we get the term gospel from. Um, Gospel, another word thrown around in churches that means everything and nothing all at once and how we use it. Uh, The English word gospel, it just comes from the Greek word euangelion, which literally means the good news. And this might not seem super controversial to us today, but it certainly was in the time of Jesus. In the ancient world, it was well accepted and understood that those who were blessed were those who had earned the favor of the gods. The rich, the successful, the powerful, those with healthy children, healthy families, those who were poor in any sense, whether emotionally, spiritually, physically, financially, these people were definitely not blessed. And this is something that was perpetuated by both uh, Greco-Roman culture in large and also Israelite religious leaders. In many cases, it was thought that the poor and struggling not only lacked God's blessing, but may have also received God's cursing. It was often thought that the despicable, the unclean, those who suffer had been abandoned by God, that they had received God's judgment for having committed some sin or done something wrong. Even Jesus' disciples, who, who spending, after spending countless hours and, and days and months learning from the teachings and sermons of Jesus, even the disciples perpetuate this idea. At one point in their travels, Jesus uh, and his disciples come across a man who, who had been born blind. And the disciples ask Jesus in front of the man, who sinned that this man was born blind, him or his parents? Imagine living in a world where your suffering is assumed to be a reflection and a consequence of your failures and your mistakes. And many people in the ancient world likely internalized this concept. Those who physically, spiritually, and financially struggled probably believed and internalized the idea that maybe I screwed up and I deserve this. Maybe I sinned against God or the gods, and this is my punishment. And these are the very people that Jesus blesses and reassures with, God walks with you. It feels great to receive good news, but it feels especially great to receive good news when you are expecting bad news. Good news, the repair on your car is simple. The part will only cost a few dollars. Good news, the tumor is benign. Your son will recover quickly. Good news. I got offered a raise at work and will be able to make rent this month after all. To the crowds gathered below him from all different walks of life, Jesus announces his new kingdom by saying, good news to those of you who doubt, to those of you who have little faith, to those of you who don't know what you believe anymore. You have been misled. God indeed walks with you. God has not abandoned you. God has made a new kingdom and you are invited to be a part of it and create something beautiful and wonderful. To the addicts, the broken, the screw-ups, the unclean, the sex workers, the shunned and the rejected, you have heard that God has rejected you just like everybody else. Good news, you have heard wrong. God has not left you yet and God will not leave you tomorrow. To the struggling the suffering, the hungry, the beaten down to the weary, to those with chronic pain, those who suffer miscarriage after miscarriage, good news. Your pain is not a result of your sin. 
or God turning his back on you. In fact, God is with you now and this new kingdom is for you. To those who live in a dark and lonely place, starving for a scrap of goodness, starving for just one thing to go right in your life, God walks with you and has made a new kingdom for you and for everyone else who feels like they don't belong. By pronouncing blessings upon those whom society had largely rejected and forgotten about, Jesus was making a scandalous and controversial statement about who he was, who God really was, and what sort of kingdom he was building. Jesus was establishing and announcing a kingdom that opened its doors to all, especially those who, by all conventional wisdom, didn't belong. It's worth noting, of course, uh, that Jesus does go on to bless the merciful, the pure in heart, the peacemakers, but he does so only after he has first blessed those whom all others deemed undeserving of such a blessing. At the very beginning of his longest, most influential sermon, Jesus is announcing a kingdom that is fundamentally counterintuitive to everything his audience expected. To quote N.T. Wright, um, again, (laughs) uh, Jesus is building a kingdom that is turning the world upside down, or rather, Jesus is building a kingdom that is turning an upside down world right side up at last. This is a theme throughout the entire Sermon on the Mount and Jesus' ministry as a whole. Just going back to Advent a few months ago, um, everything about the kingdom of Jesus is, is backwards from what you would expect. Jesus the king is, is born to an unmarried, poor, illiterate, pregnant teenage girl. He isn't visited by Jewish religious leaders, but by foreign religious leaders, practicers of astrology from a different culture entirely. He spends his earliest years as a refugee in Egypt, his parents fleeing to safety because their homeland is no longer safe for them. Jesus came primarily not to give good advice, but to bring good news of a new kingdom, a new way of doing life, a new way to be human, a new way to see and be with God. So what does any of this have to do with Lent? Lent, like I said before, uh, the Greek Orthodox Church calls it a season of bright sadness. It is a season in which we can be honest, upfront, and transparent about the ways in which we are poor in spirit. Lent is a season in which we can acknowledge our doubts and our shortcomings, but we do so knowing that we are first blessed and God walks with us. That is what makes our sadness bright. During these 40 days, where the days get longer and warmer and brighter, we are intentional about laying down unhealthy habits, things that drive us apart from our creator and taking up more healthy practices, not out of shame or out of fear, but out of love and a desire to become more and more the people that God has created us to be. And that's why we start TNL with the same statement every single week. And tonight we'll end with it. You are welcome and accepted here just as you are. Regardless of how you feel about God or church or religion, you are welcome and accepted here. But our hope is that you don't stay the same. The hope for all of us is that as we continue to encounter our creator, we will transform more and more into the people that we were created to be. Would you pray with me?
our Father who is in heaven, your name is holy. May your will be done and may your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. May we be bearers of good news. Um, may we as a community, as a church, continue uh, the reality, the, the new reality of the new kingdom in which um, everything seems upside down and counterintuitive. Um, a place where those who, who struggle to believe, um, a place where those who, who doubt, who don't know what they believe, um, those who, who don't know if there's, if there's anything spiritual about them. Um, may we be a home and a refuge for the poor in spirit. As we go about Lent, as we go through the season of bright sadness, um, may we intentionally, openly, and transparently acknowledge the ways in which we are poor in spirit, the ways that we lack, the ways that we struggle the ways that we, we trip over and over again. Um, but may we do it with the knowledge and the comfort that we are already blessed. And you already walk alongside of us. Um, even if we don't believe that you're there sometimes. May we, the poor in spirit, know that you walk with us regardless. We love you, God. Amen.